This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Dun, 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 Hi there, and welcome to You Love to See It, Fanbyte's movie review podcast. Every month, we pick a theme. Every week, we watch a movie, and then we decide where it belongs in our delightful neighborhood video store. If it possesses Emilio Estevez's levels of computer skills and therefore was able to hack its way into our staff pick shelf, if it's no $10 million heist, but isn't just a failed mole hunt either, and this earns a spot in our totally acceptable middle aisle, or if it is nothing but a dead rat in an air vent and is doomed to become organic fuel for our dreaded dumpster where everyone is some dude trying to criminalize women's bodies. Working a counter today... <laughs> No, no resemblance to reality. Just a uh, hypothetical yeah. thing <laughs> that I'm talking about. Like, wouldn't that be terrible if we lived in that mm. kind of uh, society? <laughs> Working the counter today, we have yours truly, Fernanda Channel Chopper Prates, my fellow IMF agent, Danielle Asta Lasagna Riando. Hi, Danielle. Asta Lasagna, don't get any on ya. Amazing. One of That's the best. I, yeah. I need to learn who wrote it. Like, who wrote that who specific wrote line? Yeah. Because there are several writers involved in the movie that we don't know what it is yet because we haven't told you, even though it's in the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. But before we get to all that, I also have to introduce another guest, a very special guest that we have here today. Our producer, our very own Ving Rames, Paul Tostamayo. Hi, Paul. Wow. Thank you for uh, blessing me with that um, that title, I want to say. My, my bald <laughs> king, fellow bald king, Ving Rhames. I'm, I'm happy to be here as always. Amazing. Yeah, you're our tech guru. You're the one <laughs> interrupting the signals of uh, people's uh, transfers to yeah. uh, benefit our show. We do that yep. sometimes. It's mm -hmm. very good. Yeah, we're sabotaging yeah. other podcasts to become number one. I mean, yeah, learning magic tricks with like discs in my hands. Yeah, it's really this month, as you may remember, as you may not remember, whatever. Uh, if you don't remember, we'll tell you again. This month is Payday May, meaning we are watching movies where an actor infamously got a massive paycheck from a movie, according to Hollywood legend and or the reporting we were able to find on the subject. So get ready for big budgets, big eagles, and big, bold spectacles as we dive all the way into Payday May. And this week, 
we're watching Mission Impossible, which apparently has earned its star slash producer Tom Cruise and his cable hanging, mask shedding, gum exploding alter ego Ethan Hunt a cool $70 million. Thanks to a then groundbreaking Huh, that's a good gig if you can get it. Thanks to a then <laughs> groundbreaking backhand gross revenue deal, Cruz would end up making even more than that for reprising the role of Hunt in the subsequent 3,400 movies of the <laughs> franchise, making him one of Hollywood's top earners and also a pretty easy target for the upcoming revolution. Sorry, Tom. Nothing personal. <laughs> He's gotta go. Lasagna, bro. Lasagna, yeah. Tom. Good on you for uh, doing your own stunts, but you are hoarding uh, some of the world's wealth, so <laughs> yeah. nothing we can do for you. Gotta go. Yeah. You had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort. That's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. Do you read me? I don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. You're worried about me. Why you survived? I'm sure we can find something I have that you need. No one sent me. These guys are trained to be ghosts. Let's not waste time chasing after him. Just make him come to us. I can understand you're very upset. You've never seen me very upset. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. We'll start off, as usual, with our very first segment called Setting the Scene, in which we introduce the movie at hand and we have a little spoiler-free chat about our personal history with it. But first, to those unfamiliar with the story, here's a brief Summary of Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible is a movie I shouldn't have to explain to you on account of literally every human being that exists on this planet knowing what Mission Impossible is. It stars Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, a dude who can pretty much do anything, including the impossible, which explains the title. <laughs> on this particular film, which spawned a franchise that is projected to be outlived only by cockroaches and Harry Kissinger on God's green earth, Hunt finds himself on a frantic quest to save his own damn self after he is framed for the deaths of several of his Mission Impossible Force teammates in a mole hunting operation gone awry. So we'll start with the person responsible for this pick, <laughs> which I say is a bad thing, but it is not. Uh, we'll get into it. But of course, I got to start with you, Paul, since you were the one who brought the Mission Impossible suggestion to our noble month of payday May. And I know, judging by your notes, which are the probably the nerdiest notes this show has ever mm. seen in Good. its, uh, <laughs> Good. In its Rames, history. <laughs> Amazing. You will all have access to the notes after the show. By the way, we have been posting them up on fanbite.com. Uh, so it's like you get to have double the fun. You get to hear us talking about it. And then you get to read our beautiful notes. And Paul's notes for this one are incredibly thorough. But yeah, so we'll start with you, Paul. What is your history with Mission Impossible? 
so I think this movie came out in 96 where uh, I was seven, eight, because I have a late birthday. So I, I completely missed the whole theater window that Tom Cruise is apparently so adamant about having for like three months, apparently, yeah. according to the, the mess that is <laughs> Mission Impossible 7's production. But um, yeah, so I was I was a tiny little baby. And then two years later, I, I remember really like getting into it via just like, honestly, probably renting it from like Blockbuster or something. And it became a favorite of mine um, that I would go on to own on on DVD eventually, maybe a couple years after that. And then again, proceed to rewatch uh, a thousand times in case folks were wondering where I, where I would land on the shelf life portion of our episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love this movie. It's, it's very like silly and playful, but also has like a very kind of serious tone uh, throughout that I think is, is really cool. And, and I think, you know, since it's based on like a kind of goofy old era TV show that I'm completely unfamiliar with outside of, mm -hmm. you know, seeing a couple clips here and there. Um, I love this movie. I, I, I love Brian De Palma's work. Um, obviously, you know, Tom Cruise is a, is a weird pervert in a lot of different ways um, mm -hmm. and tends to really go for it uh, in, in ways that endanger both him and the crew. Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, yeah, I love, I love this movie. Um, I've watched it a million, a million times and I probably will continue to watch it over the course of my life because it's one of those movies that like really benefits from repeated watching. And what about you, Danielle? What is your uh, history with Mission Impossible? It's kind of funny because I don't think I had ever seen this before. Like ever, oh, and I, I feel like I had like false memories of it, and I think oh, that's, I that's think what happened. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. <laughs> I think what had happened is I thought I had seen it, and I was thinking of the second one from like two thousand mm. or two thousand one, maybe, because I was like, "Where's yeah. Bellerophon?" All I remember is Bellerophon, and there's a virus. Those Oakley shades, like all this yeah. shit, like that. I was like, "Where is this?" And I was watching this movie, and I was like, "Oh, I think I'm thinking of the wrong movie." So this was my first time watching this oh, and I will nice. say I you know I definitely enjoy um the sort of the latter day I guess mission impo missions impossible how do was, <laughs> does one pluralize this term the um, impossible mission impossible so mission <laughs> like the second I guess the most recent two movies I think yeah. were yeah. really outrageously entertaining and like mm. problematic for plenty of reasons for sure <laughs> yeah. but like as a piece of entertainment and spectacle like really 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 fun so it was exciting to kind of go back and be like oh this is the root of this for at least this franchise as a movie franchise, obviously there was a TV series in the '60s and a sort of semi reboot, I think, after that. So, not not the root root, but like <laughs> the movie root. Uh, so it was fun. Yeah. It was very fun to kind of go back and see this, and also see that this was like a, you know, this is a big budget Hollywood movie, but it doesn't feel like one in all the ways all the times, and it mm -hmm. that's just because of how like bombastic this series has become, like how truly wild some of the stunts have become that this feels like a tighter movie in, in a lot of ways, right? So, yeah. yeah, like for me, I had seen it as a kid because it was on all the time. Oh yeah, and yeah. So I, I like you was like, I have memories of it. I know I've seen it, <laughs> but I didn't really remember much of it. And I have a thing with Mission Impossible that like my brain auto deletes whenever I watch it. I think I it talked auto about it. In the, oh, 
just like the <laughs> message. Just like the messages. Should you accept this mission of watching this movie? And then it's like, it just goes away. So I was actually reading, uh, not an oral history this time, okay? But it was like a little post on the Roger Ebert website, like kind of revisiting all the movies. And I'm like, I've seen them all. And I don't remember a single thing that happened in any of them. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I remember like Sean Harris. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman. I remember yeah. Thandie Newton. Yeah. Like, I remember Michelle Monaghan. I remember they existed, but it's like, <laughs> I immediately leave the theater and whatever happened is just gone. And so yeah. disavowed. It disavowed. Yeah. Disavowed. No, no, no. And, and I, 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 I retained the emotion. I was like, I think I enjoyed myself. I just wouldn't yeah. be able to tell you why. Uh, but. I rewatching this for the show, I was expecting something entirely different. Like, I feel like I associated the, I, I just in my mind is just always this action packed, super fast paced uh, thriller, which it is, but it's much more stylish and in some ways like darker and kind of more somber than what I had expected. Yeah. Uh, which I say in a good way. It's a much more uh, interesting movie in some ways than my memory retained. Oh, let's regale uh, the youths that might be <laughs> listening to this uh, uh, show with a little bit of history. I don't know. Back when uh, the dinosaurs roamed the earth, yes. there was a thing called ringtones. Um, oh, remember? yeah. They might need to know. Yeah. Remember what it was like. Now only sociopaths allow their phones to make noises. And like but back in the day, yeah, yes, yeah. Like who would have the F one theme as their ringtone? You know, like <laughs> I mean, who would who would do that? Like, who, who would do that? Who would have the Terminator theme? Uh, no, <laughs> like only literal monsters. But yes, well. back in the day, we used to not only enjoy ringtones but pay money uh, for them. And in I don't know if that was a phenomenon. Anywhere else. In oh, Brazil, yeah. it was the number one pick. The Mission Impossible theme oh was everywhere. Every huh. person with no personality who wanted to pretend <laughs> like they had a personality had the Mission Impossible ringtone. So between that and the... Was that a thing in the US or or is it is it Brazil being Brazil? I'm, I'm confused. I don't I have know. questions. I don't know. Was it the was it the Limp Biscuit cover or was it the original? No, just the little like the <laughs> monophonic like. Oh yeah, yeah. Like just the little theme. It was huh. everywhere. You could hear cell phones playing the Mission Impossible song a lot. Or am I? It's a, it's a banger. It's a banger. I mean, it is a great song. There's no there's no getting around it. It's a banger, and it, it's a banger even. In that shitty MIDI format, right? Like, yeah, especially it, in that it, shitty it, MIDI. Yeah, format. exactly. It's like dun 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 dun. I mean, that that carries better than a lot of songs, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a perfect song. But between that and the scene, the classic like scene in the vault being overplayed, I feel like I feel like the the actual movie got replaced with these snippets in my yeah. mind. So it was yeah. very, very interesting to actually uh, revisit it and watch it as something close to an adult. Um, so I'm excited <laughs> to get into it with my wonderful co-host, which is what we are about to do in our second segment called Stripping It Down, which we should warn you, 
is a part where we discuss plot specific aspects and 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 things that are otherwise known as spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie yet, listen anyway. It's Mission Impossible. It's from '96. You should know what happens. <laughs> And you probably Come on. forget. Come on. Hey, you probably forget about it by the time we're done with the show. Like, just listen. But yes, uh, as a warning, we are about to enter spoiler territory. So beware. stripping it down the part of the episode where we discuss the details of the film and there is actually quite a lot to discuss i'm particularly curious and i'll start with you paul because like i said you had just very very thorough notes it's so good it's so so good (laughs) i'm like i was really like put on my glasses and everything to like fully (laughs) dive into the most complete notes i have ever seen <laughs> wow. Wow. Coming from you, that is that I is know, high that's praise. Really I high must praise. say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I again I love this movie. I think it's very uh it strikes a perfect balance of being both like serious and playful at the same time, which I think some of my favorite uh, you know, cinematic experiences are just that, like that mm-hmm. very thing. And I'm I'm also like a big fan of, you know, again, De Palma's work, but also um just the idea behind like the approach behind, you know, um, I went to film school. I studied screenwriting for four years. I was um, I was on track to becoming an assistant camera. I was like getting ready to like take union tests and stuff. So a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff really connects to a lot of my my training. Like a lot of stuff I studied growing up as a you know as a young twenty something. Um, so this really um, this really hits a lot of those um, those notes for me that I that I love and and ones that I in retrospect thinking back on it now really um, helped. Uh, introduce me to cameras in general. Like mm-hmm. I remember being really captivated by the um, at the time. Again, children, ask your parents. But there were uh, these thing <laughs> called uh, mini DV tapes and uh, yeah, God, floppy mini disks. Mini DV tapes. Yeah, like the, there's so much beautiful of the era, and at the time felt like very futuristic uh, technology that um, I was also like very tapped into. You know, being the kid of a mechanical engineer and mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, other things like that. So I, I remember us having a camera that had the little mini DV tapes. And I remember playing around with cameras because of like, mostly because of just the uh, the mechanical interactions that that are really present throughout this film. And that kind of, I, I think, played a huge part in my my fascination with, you know, taking things apart, putting them back together. And, and also just like film and, and filmmaking and the language of film and, and understanding like what specific things mean and, and how they can be applied and the fun ways that De Palma and his cinematographer that they're employing in, in this movie that I that I love. So it 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 does a lot for me that that um works well. And I think, you know, when you when you sort of sit back and think about movies and the way they're often used to entertain us, they really are like these elaborate illusions. I mean e- even down mm-hmm. to like their basic core mechanics like the the motion picture that you're seeing is literally just like a dreamlike representation of reality and mm-hmm. and the fact that this movie understands that assignment really really well and yeah. plays with your own perception and um, has fun with you know this you know kitschy tv property that hadn't seen any kind of love i'm assuming for for decades if i had to guess 
was sort of my first introduction to like, oh, cool, you can do that. Like th that's possible. And um, just seeing all these different departments work in collaboration and work really well, you could tell a lot of this stuff was, you know, planned to the T. It has it has to be when you when you think about filmmaking and, and the different departments involved and the different disciplines and, and skills. And um, the Palma productions are always kind of firing on all cylinders in a mm -hmm. way that um, I love. And and yeah, I'll get into the nerdier stuff later on. But yeah, I just I just love this film's overall playful tone. Yeah. There is, like I said, like there's to me a certain like darkness to it, but also, like you said, a very playful um, sort of undertone. And I like how these things balance each other out. Uh, one thing I wanted to discuss, because you both put it on your notes, and I agree, is the sort of the opening scene. We've talked about this on the show before and sort of how important and how how we're all suckers for a solid opening scene that really kind of like, and I feel like what a good opening scene does is both prepare us for what we're about to like prime us, of course, uh, but not just in terms of the content, but also in terms of the mood, right? Like, and mm -hmm. I do think that this one does the job really well. And so I wanted to ask you, Danielle, like your, your, this is, I think your first observation here, um, sort of your thoughts on, on, on the way that they kind of set up the scene for us. Yeah. So we're kind of doing fun spy shit, which, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's, <laughs> it's a little, it's a little hard because obviously like the, the very, very kind of beginning is in Kiev and like, that's, a little tough mm. right now, of course, but everything, you know, the world is, is bad. So we're, we're trying to move along into it, but it is like this mm -hmm. really fun thing that kind of just keeps coming up in, in the movie. And Paul has some really good notes about this as well. It's like reincorporated so many times with the mask and identities mm -hmm. and who is who and who's doing what and getting the job done. And it's kind of like, Oh, we're doing fun, cool spy shit, fun, cool spy shit. <laughs> and then we go right into this, like, it's just absolute, um, moment of, okay, exposition as mission briefing or mission briefing as exposition, really, where it's like, all right, here's the characters. This one's good at this. This one's good at this. This one's good at this. And we get all our, you know, our, our major players. And of course, it's kind of funny because it's it's done like on an airplane. Like, do you want to watch a movie? And they, they give the little tape. And of course, the <laughs> message is going to self-destruct. It's like all this fun, goofy spy shit stuff, right? So we have our first sequence where we just go in on the action. Our second little scene here where we're on the airplane getting our full exposition of everything and who does what and what's going to happen. And then we have like this really fun little comedy scene where we get the mission briefing and then they like whine about coffee, coffee. which is funny. <laughs> so it's yeah, like all yeah. this good stuff inside of, I want to say inside of five minutes or six minutes. Like we're already into like the fourth scene of the movie. A lot of stuff has happened, but we have all this information and that's just like really good economical filmmaking. Like it's just all this good stuff totally. has already happened. We already know what's going on, whether or not you care about like MacGuffins and, you know, what the what the specific plot of the thing that's happening, uh, like the specific plot of the spy craft itself kind of doesn't matter. It's kind of completely beside the point. And I think maybe mm -hmm. that's part of why. Um, Fernanda, I had this too, of like having almost like a fugue sense of like, I've seen this movie. No, I haven't. Maybe I have. And not really remembering <laughs> a lot of specifics, but like you remember the characters and you yeah. remember cool sequences and cool visuals and things like that. So it's really kind of signposting this for us in this like yeah. beginning, uh, you know, bunch of scenes here. And I think it's like really smartly done and really fun. And I might like the intro more than I like the rest of the movie, just because this mm -hmm. was such a bright spot for me, but it's mm -hmm. still... I think well done overall. 
the fact that they had the audacity to the the casting person on this film deserves hopefully the the same amount that Tom Cruise got because yeah. um, casting Emilio Estevez in that role as a sort of like you know um, the comic man. relief yeah. the hacker guy comic relief and like the sort of that that introduction uh, scene where they're getting the briefing you know around the table is is really striking for me because it's like oh they're like these you know very um, I'm guessing important spies who work on stuff that we don't know anything about, but they're also like kind of just hanging out. It's a very breakfast club kind of uh, vibe yes. to it. And and Emilio Estevez is like, you know, constantly with the little quips and the little jokes yeah. and um, flirty it just, it, and flirting. Yeah. And it also, is, it does a good job of establishing Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character mm -hmm. as a sort of like quarterback jock guy who's like, yeah. you know, obviously has the, you know, the eye of one of the, the women, which, you know, also plays a weird uh, yep. role down the line, but it, it's a really great way to establish who Ethan is and as a sort of hotshot who who still kind of has a lot to learn. And, and that's, I, I think most good heroic tales always show you that sort of base starting area and that, and how much they can grow from there. And, and yeah. that this whole beginning portion is like a lot of that, even though we, we see that little quick, bond like introduction that's like a, a separate little piece about yeah. establishing who they are and what they do it's 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 really like you said really economically done uh, well made and it's like it's just so much fun to watch unfold and, and easy to process yeah. And the, the thing, and that's honestly, that's why I was thrown off in a good way. I think my brain is so like trained to expect this like natural progression. Like, okay, so they, uh, we are introduced to these people, they're a team, they're going to do things together and then things are going to go wrong. And then maybe like one or two of them will die. And then right after that scene, right in their first uh, mission. And again, this is on me sort of like having different expectations of the movie um we have that scene and then like we like you said Emilio Estevez is introduced as this kind of like almost goofy uh guy who makes mistakes which by the way refreshing relatable we want to see <laughs> yeah. these spies fucking up on screen okay it makes us feel less bad about ourselves and then he just suffers a Gruesome fucking death. I was so shocked yeah. because I remember none of it. And I'm sitting <laughs> yeah. here on the couch and I see the elevator going up and I'm like, because he dies, uh, like he dies on an elevator going up to like, what even was that? Like these sharp metal things stemming from the, the ceiling of the elevator shaft or whatever it was. So I, I see the elevator going up and I'm like, oh, they're going to stop this elevator within inches of the no. spiky things. And then they just mm -mm. jam Emilio Estevez right through it. Yep. <laughs> I was like, no, no, this is not what I said. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> and then yeah. a bunch of them proceed to die. And I'm like, how are they all dying? This is so strange. How it's is Tom Cruise going to do the impossible missions without his <laughs> team? I'm so confused. And relatively, uh, this is from a little bit on the Herald Times. This is kind of a bloodless uh, uh, 
a particularly bloodless uh, film in the franchise because it only, yeah, no, uh, the 1996 Mission Impossible is a mostly bloodless affair. It doesn't feature any shout shootouts or gunfights. In fact, Ethan Hunt never even fires a weapon in the entire movie. And the final body count, seven, is almost entirely from the opening sequence. Compare that with its trigger-happy sequel, Mission Impossible 2, uh, directed by John Woo, of course, which has 107 on screen casualties 68 of them in a plane crash (laughs) according to a website called a lot at bubblegum all out of bubblegum.com sorry that was a lot of double uh but yeah so and i kind of had confused the john woo one with the third one which is actually jj abrams right jj abrams Abrams, yeah, and the John Woo one is the one with the several masks. I didn't even know the masks. And the, the, masks and the, the f- virus, yes. And the, the only vi- things yeah. I remember about the second around the Rosie, yeah. yeah. And Thandy Newton was yes. having a mm-hmm. yes, yes, a revival, yes, uh, in her career. I think that uh, kind of really demonstrates the the similarities that this franchise shares with. Uh, other other big blockbuster franchises like they kind of start like I think immediately of Fast and Furious about how that first film was basically just um, Point Break or um, you know Donnie Brasco it's like a story about this undercover cop but he's mm-hmm. like infiltrating the tuner car scene in L.A. and then now it's like they're just super spies they just basically have become the IMF essentially with Ludacris and Tyrese but <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Um, this film um, kind of like you guys are alluding to really is rooted in this. Um, you know, quote unquote, realistic, more grounded uh, level that where the stakes are high, but they're not like the world's going to end high. Um, And I I prefer to like those kinds of experiences over the, you know, Tom Cruise hanging on the side of a plane, as fun Mm -hmm. as they are to watch. um, They, they don't really stick with me as, as much as, as this one does. And the, um, the, the sort of that scene in particular, the, the, the leading up to that, the whole plan kind of unraveling is so much fun to watch because it reminds me so much of, uh, uh, this is a, again, a video game reference. I'm sorry for Nanda. We have to push through this all the time, Don't but worry. it really does. I know, I know, I know the environment I'm in. I'm in the minority. It's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the one in the wrong here for not doing video games. So go ahead. Yeah. How dare you? How dare um, you? We uh, it, it it reminds me a lot of Hitman, a game that oh, um, yes. Danielle oh, I know yeah. you love, oh, yeah. and the the whole like setup and and the elaborate large room with all these different characters who Tom Cruise has to sort of navigate around wearing that goofy disguise and <laughs> yeah. um, you know it, it it also reminds me that IO Interactive, the folks responsible for Hitman, are making a 007 game, which makes me very excited and uh, I can't wait to play that. But yeah, it's it, the uh, this this moment in particular has like a very jarring again playful use of of camera work where mm-hmm. we're literally put into his perspective when we're walking through the space and you know one of his partners is is sort of introduced or she runs up to him and it's like oh i haven't seen you in forever or whatever and then kind of takes him off to go you know try to get the disc or whatever um it's just really cool like it's really it's really jarring for for a movie to just cut to a pov scene and, you, and you're hearing tom yeah. cruise speak you, you almost feel like you're watching that um, that onboard feed of, of the glasses, which again pays off later down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're, they're really adamant about showing what the, those glasses can do, right? Like in, they kind of set it up in that room very particularly and, and they, they cut, they give it its own close-up, this heroic extreme close-up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just like, 
it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to have this jarring, weird, wacky stuff happening. But, you know, again, really easy to follow. One of my favorite, like, sort of stylish diplomas moments is when he is in the meeting with Kittredge, the main, uh, like, the main dude who is the one who kind of breaks it to him, like, hey, you're the one who's alive. We kind of think you're the one who set this whole thing up. <laughs> you're the dude. one who fucked up, man. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> Got you. Uh-huh. I love how that scene is shot. They do these sort of like under, like the shots are from come from under sort of mm-hmm. the table and you have these close-ups kind of looking up of both their faces and it goes back and forth and it really creates this really like interesting tension and right from that we go to him exploding a giant tank that is apparently (laughs) half of a restaurant and (laughs) just unleashing hell but it's water on everyone it's just like to me that's what makes this movie so interesting it has these little um more sort of quieter moments where the tension like you said paul kind of plays out in the last obvious Tom Cruise hanging off an airplane type of way, which, by the way, he actually did. I think we all know that Tom Cruise does most of his stunts. But um, yeah, yeah, I was just watching a video like on YouTube by uh, Insider in which they kind of broke down his um, eight of his uh, stunts, not just in Mission Impossible. Uh, And it is why are you this millionaire person hanging off a plane? Tom. Yeah, why are you like this? Why are you like this? Like, thank you, God bless you, but honestly, you don't need to do this. I went to a um like a, a like a director's guild screening for her, my buddy invited me to when that when that one particularly came out. Yeah. And I remember that there was a Q&A with the director who was like, "Yeah, he had to wear like these um contacts because yep. if anything at that speed enters your eye, you're like your eye's done." Exactly. Um, so I'm like, I, immediately upon hearing that kind of information, like I have to do what? I have to wear these contacts <laughs> because why? No, I'm not doing this. I don't care how much this is going to make me. Yeah, it was like a special contact uh, that covered his entire eye. Not just yeah. obviously the the iris so he could, you know, do this thing. And apparently it took uh, eight takes for him to be satisfied with the scene. So he God voluntarily hung <laughs> beside. <laughs> That's why we like <laughs> we hear these reports, uh, especially with the last, the latest Mission Impossible. That was kind of a standoff, from what I could understand, between uh, Tom Cruise um, and the studio involving money and whatever. And like you guys mm-hmm. were, like I think it was you, Paul, who mentioned that he needs. Uh, he requires three months of the thing being on theaters and like Tom Cruise just being an absolute like diva about it. I'm like, you know what, Tom, you earned it. You get to be a fucking diva <laughs> this about This is your baby. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to hang off a plane and jump off very high rocks and literally hang the side of a giant building for this movie, yep. you get to demand it stays however long you want it to stay in the in the freaking uh yeah you're the boss man i don't i don't know what you're capable of but uh there's also that i think it was the same movie he like jumps out of a window and i think he like broke his ankle or or something and he kept running but um how did he only break his ankle like how is he not dead how is this man alive i have questions We got to stop this man. He's he's, he's going <laughs> to hurt himself and potentially other people. But Maybe Scientology um, is onto something. Maybe he is. <laughs> I'm sorry, Maybe, uh, listeners. Yeah. That is a joke. 
Think about I am it. not think supporting about it, Scientology. Um, <laughs> But this, but going back to Mission Impossible One, th- this is kind of like one of the links you provided, the, the little trivia, fun facts about this movie that I had no idea about was, and I, I had a suspicion like watching this again this time around. I'm like, is this the first time he got a taste of like that adrenaline because yeah. he actually did that stunt and he was really adamant about like, no, I have to be the one to like run out and and do this. And it, it is, I mean, at the time I remember as a kid, I was again, I was a tiny little baby child, but. Um, even still today, it is kind of visually striking, like in a way that mm-hmm. um, doesn't look fake at all. And, and it, it makes me miss those sort of real big bombastic productions of the 90s where that was a real ass aquarium that got exploded. And, yeah. and you know, he that's him running out. And I, I don't know if the fish were real, but they were certainly flopping around like they were. <laughs> I'm like I a little saying, sad about the dead fish now. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. This is not a vegan friendly movie and it could not no. happen in 2022. Like there it would be some protests. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And it did also, again, Paul, I'm sorry, Fernando, but it made me think of that Miami level with all those fish and Hitman yes. too. And it was like, again, I kept getting Hitman vibes from various elements of this movie, like all the time. So I, I got to... I got to back you up on that. There was so much Hitman yeah. in this movie. Or I'm sure, you know, the Hitman. Isn't there also Level designers movie? are more influenced from this movie and these types of movies. But still, let's let's just call it the way we feel. <laughs> For sure. But when did Hitman come out, the, the video game? I mean, the after first game was like 99, I want to say. Oh, okay. like, yeah. like not long after this. Um, yeah. The more recent games are the ones that I've actually played and have a much more, you know, firm understanding of. I think I think even like for me, this also hit at a very particular time around Metal Gear Solid's uh, sure. first game, yeah. or I guess second game or whatever, third, whatever, I don't, uh, the first PlayStation game, um, because it has very similar vibes. I mean, Snake even has like a very Tom Cruise-like look to him mm-hmm. and all that espionage and, and the gadgets and stuff, it, it, it just hit me at the right moment where I was just, yeah, I was just so into all of this nonsense. And I, <laughs> you know, to a degree, I still am. <laughs> But the world is. That's why this franchise yeah. keeps being so freaking successful, right? I think the only one that wasn't that impressive was the third one, like in terms of just profits. And then they kind mm. of reinvented the franchise. So it's kind of like, it's so alluring for literally everyone. It's the kind of stuff that it takes a very weird person to watch a Mission Impossible movie and like actively hate it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. yeah right i mean Relax. i mean if you hate tom cruise like if you if yeah. it was like oh, jeremy yeah. renner in these movies sorry to go back to that <laughs> oh, which he is but by like, the way he's in the third he one. is yeah i know oh, and it's God. like and i even like that movie so that's really kind of telling you something um no, i like that one too i can't lie it's, i like but. the three and four again the ones i actually remember better are like pretty pretty good action movies but like if it were Renner Rennering everywhere, like if mm. he was the star of the movie, I don't know. I he will tried. say that. Remember he was in that Bourne movie. Oh god. I I remember. He was in honestly after Danielle revealed her uh Renner <laughs> hatred, I keep seeing Jeremy Renner everywhere. It's like oh, was he literally every I'm looking right now at his IMDb For like ten page. years he was. He was he was in like sixty everything. credits. Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Was it the third Mission Impossible? Yeah, I think so. I think so. No, it was Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. Is that the third or the fourth one? I I think that's the fourth one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I think the idea, I read it somewhere, like a little trivia, little page, like fun facts about Mission Impossible, that (laughs) uh, it was supposed to be a kind of passing of the torch thing. Um, Oh, God. Imagine. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God. 
Uh, Bring Emilio back. Yeah, right? Justice for Jack. He did not deserve <laughs> to die that way. John yeah. Void. No. I will never yeah, plot forgive twist. It was someone else in a mask. It wasn't actually Emilio. <laughs> oh, that would have oh. been. Oh, that's a good thing. I hope they bring him back and just be like, surprise. Tom, hit me up. I'm alive. It wasn't <laughs> me. It was some other hacker, dude. That would be like the best plot there twist in the five. history. Of I, the this whole time franchise. I have been, I have been fucking up and thinking there are four of these movies. There are five. And Renner was in the middle one, the 2006 one, it looks There's like. There's six. Yeah. There's six of them. There's six? Yeah, there's six. The seventh is going to come out. I, I, I fucked up again. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> I've clearly, I'm fucking up. I'm so sorry. I got, I got to say, I haven't seen two uh, recently, so I have to revisit that. I, I remember being completely like, you know, uh, just didn't know how to process it at the time because of how just over the top it was. But I will say there, these are all like really solid action movies. Yeah. Like the, I, I always leave like, oh, wow, that was really, really good. Yeah. And um, it, it it does make me a little sad, though, that it, it you know, continues to move further into the big blockbuster, you know, epic that they have now become. Because, again, going back to this one. Um, a lot of the, not to say that the newer ones aren't as, you know, creative and artistic, but this one in particular, there are so many like beautiful decisions made throughout that I, I kind of miss that from, from the newer ones, even though, you know, it's fun to watch, uh, Henry Cavill reload his arms in the bathroom. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> But that's that exactly what I agree. I agree with you. And that's kind of what I was saying. Like, I was positively impressed. Not that these other movies aren't fun, like I said, but I was positively, positively impressed by how just uh, quirky in a way this is. Like, yeah. it's just very, uh, yeah. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, I feel like this might have a, not necessarily a depth, but it's richer in some ways. Or sure, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was I was very like positively just sort of okay. This is not what I was I thought I was signing up for. And also like doesn't it last less than two hours? Amazing. It does. Just under perfect. It does. Yeah, it's just under, which is great, honestly. Chef's kiss. Yeah. Efficient. Again, Those the economical is, filmmaking. Economic, <laughs> and you get everything. See, this is a bargain because for less than two hours, you get that scene where everybody, the, the opening scene where everybody dies. You get John uh, Renault uh, following a train through the channel with a helicopter <laughs> and attempting mm. to kill Tom Cruise with the helix, which honestly... If the movie didn't contain the classic scene of Tom Cruise lowering uh, himself, well, being lowered by Jean Renault down the vault and the whole, like, the most classic Mission Impossible scene, um, I would argue. If the movie didn't have that, I feel like we as a society would be discussing the tunnel scene a little more. Mm -hmm. like, like mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, true. it's a shame. It's a shame yeah. we're not talking about this. Red, red light, green light. <laughs> Go, going back to the sort of like the artistic yeah. decisions being made throughout this film, like there, one and and the economic thing that that Danielle was talking about, which mm -hmm. again is one of my favorite things about movies. Whenever I see it, I'm always like, oh, thank God! Like I I, I always kind of roll my eyes whenever there's an action scene, particularly in American films where 
it's cut so much and there's so many quick close-ups or I, I can't even process what's happening or, or what the geography of the room is like. Yeah. And I'm just kind of lost. I think of more recently, like the most recent matrix, which I, which I loved actually, but, but some of the action stuff was just hard to, it was just like a soup of stuff. And I think that was definitely intentional in, in that movie's case. But in this one, um, one of my favorite examples and, and, um, one of my favorite shots, I'll mention the other one a little later, but um, I guess I should preface this by saying again, <sighs> went to film school, I apologize, but there, this okay. film was shot. I did too. Uh, we're, we're in good company, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Danielle right, finally has some free. company instead of me being like, <laughs> what about that stupid email address? No, we, we want you to no, see it. No, I love it. We'll talk about that. I love yeah, it. We'll talk about that too. Um, but no, like, so this film was shot uh, using anamorphic, like, anamorphic lenses, essentially. So it's like these, this filter, the, lo the long and short of it, I'll link videos that feature explainers mm -hmm. behind all this stuff. But uh, anamorphic is basically, uh, it's shot like in a, with an oval kind of shape lens. So mm -hmm. everything is originally filmed kind of squished. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of, uh, in post, you kind of stretch it out so it's wider. So, you know, J.J. Abrams actually does this a lot. Um, a, lot of, a lot of filmmakers do this. De Palma obviously does this a ton. Uh, it's, you know, responsible for all those J.J. Abrams flares. It's a very distinct style that makes the background and the whole image overall mm -hmm. a little softer, more dreamlike, more like a painting. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there's this uh, really um, beautiful technique that also gets used that I'll get into later um, using a particular piece of equipment. But my, my favorite shot, speaking about the economic thing, is when Ethan meets, well, one of my favorite shots is when Ethan meets uh, Max's contact on the bench. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's a really cool establishing shot. It starts off this way. It's like a slow dolly in. You see a guy sit on a bench. And then it keeps moving in and then you hear Ethan's voice. The guy turns around, looks directly at the camera. So you go, oh shit, I'm Ethan again. Yeah. And then uh, the car pulls up, uh, you know, into the, into the foreground now. And then the door opens and you go into the car and you talk to the guy in the passenger seat. Like it's just so dynamic and it's one shot. It's one long take that I think a lot of movies nowadays don't do so much. And it's like something that you kind of have to do with, with this kind of approach, like anamorphic lenses and, and cause they're, they're generally really hard to light and they, they don't come in a lot of different, you know, um, ranges. So you have to be really particular about how, what you're doing. And, uh, it just, a perfect example of how this this movie really doesn't waste time like it's you know we talked about how it's under two hours but that it, it uses that time very efficiently even you know it's it's aided by the fact that it's a spy movie so mm -hmm. a lot of it is just mostly exposition but even despite that you're able to really follow along and and understand who these characters are and who they are in the space and uh you know it's Again, it's just like, a, it's just a masterwork. I, I, I love this. I love this dumb spy movie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's, it's not, it, it, I feel like it's easy to think it's dumb because it's so convoluted, but then you're like, it's actually more clever than a lot of the things we were subsequently exposed to in action movie lore. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. it's a little, a lot smarter than that. Um, but since you mentioned Max, I wanted to hear from Danielle uh, about her opinion on the appearance of Max, who happens <laughs> to be played by Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, my God. She's my favorite part of the movie. Like, yeah. she really is. I, I oh, love yeah. a lot of the, like, goofiness. And I love how much this movie, like, leans into the goofiness of, like, spy stuff. Like, it's very fun and it's, like, very playful in that 60s way. But the best part. I mean, Ving Rhames, too. Okay, listen, yeah. there's two best parts, okay? And it's Ving, I, listen, I also love Emilio Estevez. I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna throw him under the bus. He just, he isn't in as much of it as these 
these two like incredible, just amazing performances. Honestly, Vanessa Redgrave is just so oh, fucking good here. Like she's just, yeah. she's so playful. And again, it's, it's Paul, you had written in your notes that sort of like, aggressive but playful like that's her whole tone yeah, here it's so yeah. good she's the massive you know hacker um like, like i want to say i want to say hacker but really she's like in charge of all of the things she's almost like in mr robot terms like um you know like like holding up a living? whole coalition kind of thing you know it's like very mm. i don't know it's very very it's attractive i'm just gonna say that i think she's very uh it's really hot it's a really hot performance it's hot and a yeah, really good performance of them in the car is hot i was like it's I don't hot know this, right i don't know if oh. this is just me or like i was blushing no, it's yeah, hot. Right? <laughs> i was like is this <laughs> yeah. weird do i feel sexual tension here or is it just yes. me like being horny again being horny I, on main again i mean uh, no the movie's horny <laughs> though, cause, cause yeah. when, when tom when uh, ethan hunt is, is first introduced to her like like danielle was saying that's kind of the whole uh attitude of this movie mm -hmm. right it's like he's smiling and, and and he knows he could easily be killed, but he knows that he's going to walk away from this interaction successfully, right? Yeah. And he knows like what he's talking about is is right and it's true and that, that kind of confidence. And she's like, she's kind of like, you know, uh, she finds that appealing in a way. Like she she likes to sort of toy with him like a like my cat does with a with a crumpled up receipt. Yeah. You know, like it's it's kind of fun to just see them both play with each other in that way. And, you know, especially with Tom Cruise's like psychotic smile that he that he flashes <laughs> yeah. constantly throughout. Yep. And that's that those interactions are sort of what give this character, which could be very one-dimensional, some depth, right? Like he totally. makes Ethan Hunt be a little mysterious in a yeah. way because yeah. he's this cocky cocky asshole who like you said smiles in a way that feels like he knows he can get away with literally anything but then at the same time you're curious it's not just this action guy who can do bullshit even though he is you kind yeah. of curious to keep watching and find out a little bit more about Ethan which is something that I feel like it's hard to do for that to stand out among all the noise. But one thing that we yeah. were talking about, sort of the horny stuff, uh, we didn't even mention that there is a sort of weird love triangle type yeah. aspect of this because it's John true. Voight, who is the lead, from what I understand in the series, John Voight never becomes evil. I think he's like the, he becomes sort of the lead agent. I didn't get way too into it all i know is that sam elliott uh was in this series at some point and though we're not allowed to say like sam elliott anymore because he said some dumb shit about yeah. um the movie with benedict cumberbatch about oh, cowboys right 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 right. yeah oh and john and john voight to be yeah. honest john voight's a, a john real voight dickhead a, in real life yeah, yeah. real piece yep. of shit apparently yeah. uh but what was i saying I got distracted by Sam Elliott's mustache. The character I can't just ignore evil. all the horniness I nurtured for uh, <laughs> Sam Elliott for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> what I was about to say, the John Voight character, who is sort of like the leader of the situation, is married to Claire, who we first think died in the um, the the sort of mole operation gone awry. But then we find out she's alive, and we don't really understand. Did she ever sleep with Ethan? I don't. I don't. Right. Did she? Maybe. Who knows. But I will say, I think she's the weakest link in the movie. 
Mm, I don't even yeah. know that actress. Like maybe she's great. Uh, maybe it was the role, but I just, yeah. if we got to talk about the performances, I say Claire's probably to me the most forgettable part of the movie. It is It is a weird component to the whole thing. I feel like they, I don't know if this was the screenwriters feeling some kind of uh, pressure to include like, you know, a, a Bond girl, so to speak, but, or just add, introduce that sort of weird romantic element. But it's funny because I've watched this movie a million times and the ending always, it, it still always like surprises me when when John Voight's character, Phelps, I believe is, is yep. his name, yeah. is like, um, you know, he he mentions that like, oh, you know, like you're, you're, dude, what is it? Like he, he quotes the Bible verse of like, do not covet. Oh, Gideon, yeah, yeah, the whole, yep. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, I forgot about this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. This movie did not need this at all. It's so weird. Like, it feels so gemmed in there, like you said, like to have an element uh, of this Bond girl type or because you kind of, I guess, Hollywood feels like we need a romantic sort of at least yeah. uh, innuendo to fully appreciate a movie, but it just feels extremely strange. For me, it's not even the actress. It's that this whole situation feels stupid and forced and like it just doesn't yeah. really play well and we didn't need it with all our kind of goofy spy hijinks and our sad stuff going on it feels a little bit to me like you know we talked about in sphere where there's this real stupid like romance element or whatever you want to call it which yeah. just doesn't feel not even necessary it doesn't even feel like human it feels like robots wrote <laughs> that part of the script kind of thing and like <laughs> these poor that, actors yeah. had to do something with it and just there was nothing to do with it. Like that's, that could have just been cut and this would have been a, a stronger and even tighter movie, I think. And it is, I think generally a pretty strong and, and tightly produced movie, but we just didn't need that shit, you know? No. And then no. she dies. Like, yeah. yeah. Seriously? Just, yeah. This is why we have Claire here to like first be an asshole and then maybe cheat on John Voight. Who knows? Well, not cheat. Well, she, because she knew he was alive. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just convoluted, but not in a fun way. The way other things are convoluted in a fun puzzle way. This is just like, I don't care. I kind of wish they gave her, like, just more of her own, like, you know, sense of self, like her own Mm -hmm. sense of motivation, because, like, it it, it comes off as this sort of, you know, kind of like a plot device. And, And it's unfortunate because she... She has, in my opinion, the best shot of the entire movie, which is, is my excuse to also go into my nerdy films, filmmaking shit, which is that technique that I was referring to earlier. Um, it, it's, it's so like there's there's certain shots in the movie where you can see a, a character in the foreground on one side of the frame in focus, and then the background with something else or someone else um, also in focus. It's it's a weird, um, interesting technique that that kind of works differently than the way our eyes do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it has this very distinct quality to it. And it's it's specifically, um, again, the, the cinematographer, uh, Stephen H. Burham, which Excellent. I thankfully wrote down here, yeah. um, they, they use this very specific technique um, that now I can't find in the mess of notes that the I have. Split like the split-field diopter. Is that there the you one? go. Thank you, Fernanda, for, for the, <laughs> ah, for the, yeah. for the yeah, pastor, I totally for the knew that. I wasn't just reading your notes. This is yeah, a thing yeah, that I knew myself in my brain. Yeah, you're talking about this all the time. <laughs> you're always <laughs> talking about this. People are like, Fernanda, um, would you stop talking about the split field diopter? <laughs> split like, field you're bringing the diopter, that. yeah. That's me we at get parties. It. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. But... So this this uh, this technique is is used a lot in the De Palma films. Like you'll see it, you see it in this movie a bunch. Like there there are even certain Dutch angles, which by the way, in my notes I wrote 
all caps, Dutch angles, let's fucking go. Um, <laughs> yes. Because I love Dutch angles. They, they're a very easy, obvious way to communicate something is off. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so so her the shot with her in particular where, where, you know, it's revealed that she's the one who blew up the car, that technique is being applied there. And, and mm -hmm. it's it's so brilliant because if you go and rewatch it, I would recommend everybody go check that one shot out. Just go just go YouTube it or something or even just look up a even just look up a, a screenshot on Google images. Like you'll see um, where that line in the middle where that blur line is, mm -hmm. um, is is like disguised by the edge of two buildings meeting. And it's also like the shadow of a tree. But she it's it's in slow motion. She detonates the bomb. Um, it explodes. It's this really beautiful like painting. And then she turns around slowly and looks directly into the camera. Like, yeah, yeah it was me the entire time. And that's like her best moment and only moment really yeah. outside of, you know, anytime she's there to basically just, uh, I don't know, comfort Tom Cruise or some or right. some shit like or be pushed it, around just, by Tom Cruise or be yeah, murdered be by her own killed. husband. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's both like. I don't know. It's it's it, it is a little disappointing, and it, it is kind of one of those things where it's a sign of the times, but also like you know we still see that shit now. That scene is yeah. like that meme of the girl looking at the camera while everything burns down. <laughs> yes, yes. That's that's like my energy all the time. Like I'm gonna blow some shit up and look right at you when I do it. I will say, like to me, the coolest way to disrupt a scene now will forever be just blowing up a tank. Like that's just amazing. Yeah. No body cow, just chaos. Just stick mess. a gum and the but the no nah, the waiter got it. I'm pretty sure that waiter was dead. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, yeah. just thrown out of the window. That was every time that happens, I laugh hysterically because <laughs> it just looks so comical. It's like an anime or something. I hope oh that waiter God. is okay. That it was just yeah. a few broken bones. Uh, Tom <laughs> yeah. Cruise has survived through stunts that involved hanging off buildings and helicopters. So maybe that waiter is okay. Yeah, he's probably all right. <laughs> hope you're all right, dear we'll waiter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I would I will say we are uh, we're inching closer and closer to becoming a Ving Rhames uh, stance podcast. Oh, a hundred percent. So I feel like moving forward, whenever he appears in a movie, we'll just assume it's just implied that he's one of the best parts uh, of the movie. Yes. Like absolutely. we don't even need to discuss it. It was like Ving Rhames Sp is spin off in pod. <laughs> spin off pod. Just Ving things. Just Ving oh my god. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> so that's just my appreciation. I, I do think I would be, uh, we would be remiss to end this conversation without addressing the beauty of the email that Tom Oh, Cruise my God. <laughs> so Tom Cruise uh, is trying to get in touch with, uh, he knows a traitor is going by Job and uh, responding to a person who by then we don't know is Vanessa Redgrave uh, named Max. And he emails the address max at Job 3. <laughs> God. <laughs> and it is amazing. It's just an impossible email address. Uh, 96 different times, but I'm pretty sure we knew how emails were supposed to work back then. Um, and I just love that this happened. <laughs> just, yeah. You, know, you mean you never got your, your Job 314 <laughs> oh uh, sample disc, trial disc in the mail? Oh my God. <laughs> just absolutely beautiful. So changing, exchanging uh, Bible verses and finding out oh through a Bible. And that I know, uh, Paul, that you took issue with, 
right? The discovery that uh, the Bible falls off a shelf and that's how Tom Cruise kind of puts it together that the Bible had a stamp referencing the Drake Hotel in Chicago, which we knew that John Voight had been in. And that's kind of like how he uh, pieces everything together. But I know you had some issues with that, with that concept, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I was taught um, in school that like, you know, coincidence works best when it gets characters further into trouble and doesn't like help them or mm-hmm. solve some kind of puzzle that they've been trying to figure out. Because it, it is always kind of like unsatisfying for the answer to just be handed to our heroes. And um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, it, it's it's a little lazy, in, in, in my opinion, uh, that this sort of answer is just handed to him in that way. I, I don't know if the movie necessarily needed that. I think John Voight could have come into the equation and maybe even slipped some information out there that Ethan was aware of some some other way that, that would have been cooler. But, uh, you know, I guess hindsight, but also qu- quarterback screenwriting, or, yeah. or, or, sorry, <laughs> or armchair screenwriter over yeah. here. But yeah, not, not, my, not my favorite thing. Yeah. I mean, you could see how like, there's a lot that we're dealing with. Let's just do like one lazy thing and fuck it. <laughs> yeah, that, that cut out 10 minutes of a scene that they probably already filmed too. They were like, eh, let's just drop a Bible on the floor. I don't Dude, know. And, his, and, and they immediately like, they don't even let us remember by ourselves that he had referenced the Drake Hotel. Even though like, like we've been saying, the movie lasts less than two hours. Like you can easily remember that happened. They even shoot sure. to like a flashback of him. You're right. It is the laziest part. Yeah. But I'll let it's them like some karate kid bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'll let them have it. They're they're going through so much trouble with their ass. They're like, yeah, we gotta we gotta piece this shit together uh somehow. Yeah. Uh yeah. we don't usually do this on this show, but I am curious because I feel like this movie has so much, it's such a rich rich text, and we've covered <laughs> so many different scenes that I want to ask both of you. And I'll start with Danielle. Yeah. What is if you had to pick one favorite scene, favorite yeah. snippet of this movie, what would it be? God, it's really hard because I truly love the sort of like mission briefing into the coffee thing. Like, I mm-hmm. just think that's such a strong intro and it's so much fun. And it's like, a, and it's paid off really nicely with the very ending too, with when he gets the you know, the message and we cut into the music and then we or not cut into the music. The music kind of comes in and then we cut to the credits. Like for me, that's like really, really good. Um, I guess I just picked three things, but the way they work in concert. There you go. That's (laughs) that's that's my pick by far. Um, I also really do like I know it's been like, you know, parodied, but I do love the sort of like the ropes, um, you know, hacking sequence that's just very good and very tense and very fun and like yeah sure it's, it's been amazing parody, but it's, it's good <laughs> it's really yeah, well it's, done that's mine like it's just good that's mine gotcha. yeah. Yeah. i'm sorry so you can talk about that one i don't need to talk about it <laughs> no it's capital f as you would say paul capital f filmmaking so let's see lead into oh, yeah. it because obviously i was just about to ask you so that's your favorite scene yeah, no, no question. Because we're also, again, this movie, I wrote in my notes, this movie has the audacity to have Jean Reno and, and Ving Rhames together as like this duo <laughs> of, uh, you know, disavowed former yeah. agents. And j- just that, again, it's like, a, it's a really fun Ocean's, Levels, uh, Ocean's Eleven style heist that we see the before, during, and after moments of. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of like all leads up to this one beautiful like chef's kiss cherry on top moment where uh Jean Renault f- you know finally pulls up Ethan all the way and then 
hand, he snatches the disc out of his hands, boom, betrayal, right? Or yeah. like, at least he's not to be trusted and the knife falls. And, and they both, so they both react to the fact that, oh, wow, a twist, but then also, oh no, the knife. And like the whole plan yeah. of theirs just begins to free fall uh, just like the knife is. And it's a beautiful, again, it's a beautiful uh, blend, like like Danielle says, of like this these different moments that all kind of work in concert with each other and build up to a certain, you know, particular uh, idea mm -hmm. that just completely works so well that I think, you know, d despite the bombastic nature of the, the more recent films, I still think like this film is probably my favorite mm -hmm. of the bunch, like the one I've seen the most. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, just like that whole, even this, the the room itself feels like it's something out of Star Wars mm -hmm. or 2001. Yeah. It's just like, it's so weird and bizarre in contrast to the very like, you know, corporate feel of the other space outside of that. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, it's so cool. It's just so cool. It is really cool. Like I was... Uh, like Danielle said, and I, I, you know, this is the scene that it's very easy to, I feel like, to desensitize yourself to these moments uh, that have been played to death, that have been, the theme song is is uh, one of them, but also like this scene in particular, right, that has been so played and 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 parodied, and and we've seen it so much that you know, it kind of goes into the back of your head is, you know, just this moment more, more of a moment in pop culture than an actual scene from a movie. And then rewatching it, I was just like blown away by it all. Like I knew everything that yeah. was going to happen because even though I hadn't seen the movie as a kid, I had seen this scene several times in several different yeah. ways, but like maybe not from beginning to end and not inserted in the context of the entire movie. And it's just like, it's so incredibly, tense and the tension is so well built and you know even the guy the the poor schmuck who has to you know be poisoned and vomit a I lot bad is it's <laughs> in charge of a very very sensitive thing and being the only person in charge of a very very sensitive thing must be terrible uh on your bowels as it is um it's true so he's like him coming in and out of the room and you know the drop of sweat and the the decibels being measured with the rat and jean struggling to keep toast. the toast and the jean <laughs> struggling to keep the the rope and then uh, we see ethan also struggling to keep his balance like it's so tense and it also has like a little space for humor and everything. It's just really is. Yeah. There is a reason why this scene has been played to death. It is yeah. extremely, extremely good. But since you picked that, I'm going to go with the scene that I mentioned in my nickname and that I've said before, the tunnel. It's just absurd. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Jano follows the chain with a helicopter into the tunnel. <laughs> I don't know if that's physically yep. possible. Can helicopters <laughs> do that? Can they fly in that straight line inside a tunnel and not like bang against the walls and crash? Don't worry about it. Don't I don't worry know. About I'm not. I'm not. I'm just <laughs> marveling at it. <laughs> I'm mar I don't know if the Mythbusters went into it at one point. And then he tries to kill Tom Cruise with the freaking helix of the helicopter, a la mm -hmm. Ray Romano in ER. Like, <laughs> and Tom Cruise is meanwhile balancing himself on the train, trying to escape the helicopter while inside. The it's 
it's beautiful. And then they show like a an ex. Oh, they bl- uh, the a news clip talking about how the helicopter lost control and ended up in a tunnel, and the accident was a uh, a technical malfunction. And let's let us not forget that it involves John Voight dying in a very gruesome way. Yeah. Yeah. True. Because it shows like him sort of being torn apart by the helicopter, and it is graphic. I'm going to go with this. Yeah, pay, payback, payback for Jack. Payback. Yep, payback Jack. for Jack. <laughs> payback for Jack. Mm-hmm. Maybe Emilio Estevez is a helicopter. Who knows? Ooh. Maybe he reincarnated oh as a helicopter. I don't know. Damn. I like that. He died food. by the blade. Now he lives by the blades. <laughs> oh, There it shit. is. Amazing. <laughs> so see, you know how Danielle always talks about the lesbian utopia that should follow every yep. movie? I'm going to talk about how Emilio Estevez should come back at the end of every oh movie. Oh my fucking God, I love it. Yes. As a vehicle. As, <laughs> like a transformer and just have his revenge. I don't know if that's how transformers yeah. work. I've never seen it. Uh, so yeah, I feel like that covers a lot of it before we move on i just want to ask uh from both of you if if you guys have anything that you want to add that we haven't touched on uh not really i think uh i think i've said everything i needed to about this masterpiece <laughs> anything that i missed will will be in our our lovely show notes post so if you want any juicy additional uh trivia tidbits with links i'll i'll throw them in there that's very nice you very guys nice. have i don't notes. have anything extra but yeah i've I feel like these notes are even beefier than usual, and I'm so excited yeah. about it. Oh, they're <laughs> such good notes. I get excited about notes, okay? Notes yeah, are, I, notes I, I are love notes. I love notes. <laughs> if yeah. I could just write notes forever um, instead of like actual things, because notes are easier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say, because this is payday May, uh, one little tidbit that I found on The Hollywood Reporter Cruz is one of the last dollar one gross players in the business. So box office receipts are key to his compensation. And then uh, in parenthesis, he makes much more from the films than the studio does. Imagine being Tom Cruise. Uh, You'll see it in the notes. I put uh, some snippets from what I could find online, kind of explaining how he became... uh, how he was able to make so much money. He's also a producer, so there's that, but like how he was able to make so much money. And it had to do, there was a very complicated explanation in this uh, old Slate article that Mm. he kind of, it goes into the sort of idea of gross revenue and not only box office, but video distribution deals and how he was able to get a a margin from like a percentage from the general the general revenue and not just it's a whole thing but yes that's needless to say mr cruz is doing uh very well for himself uh money wise i don't know in other aspects <laughs> of his life yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that's uh yeah that doesn't pertain to us so this was no. certainly a very uh fitting pick for for yeah. payday may Payday May. So I guess that settles it. We've all made our cases. Uh, Paul made a really passionate plea for this movie that I, I kind of have a feeling, Paul, as to where you're going to put it when we <laughs> enter our final segment, which, as you all know by now, is called Shelf Life.
So shelf life as a reminder to those of you who are our usual customers and as an introduction to those of you who are just coming in for the first time. This is the part of the show where we decide where the movie we just discussed belongs in our video store. If it's a bona fide staff pick to be displayed proudly, if it is a middle aisle pick, which, you know, not amazing, but not bad either, respectable, or if it just sucks and we're just sending it straight to the dumpster outback, a distinct honor that so far has only been bestowed upon Wild Wild West. Um, it's true, though. It's gotten <laughs> close. We've, I'll we've, be honest. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about a retroactive mm. one at, at times, you know. Just at times. last week. At yeah, times. Times. Just last week we had Batman, uh, 1989's Batman, sniff the dumpster. It's sniffing. <laughs> it was sniffing that dumpster, yeah. remember? Yeah. So, yeah. But it, if it made it made it to the middle aisle. So yeah. we'll start with Paul, who picked the movie. Again, I think we kind of know Paul. But where are you putting Mission yeah. Impossible in our video store? So, yeah, I, I think um, it's a nice alternative, especially at the time, to the Bond series. And it kind of spawned its own thing um, that I, I, I kind of hope does eventually live on post-cruise um, in a way that's still kind of faithful to the original series, where we've got to find another weirdo to do all the stunts. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Um, it, it's one of my favorites, but I, but it's not something that I would necessarily put in like my top ten of all time mm -hmm. kind of things. But I would be okay with the middle aisle placement. I think it's a it's a solid, you know, action movie that you can even have on in the background. And and again, you can watch it over and over again in the background or or atten attentively if you if you so choose. But I, I think I think a middle aisle placement would be cool. And I, I'm also maybe suggested adding a sticker on here that says Paul really loves this one. <laughs> so if if that means anything. Maybe you'll maybe you'll like it. Uh, like in Seinfeld, when they have like Vincent's picks or something with yeah, uh, when exactly. they go to the video store. Like it's not the necessarily the staff picks, but we have a little Paul distinction on it. I will say, <laughs> yeah, it's a tiny little part of the shelf. <laughs> I love yeah. it. We'll put a little like metal like thing, like a gold medal. Say Paul loves yeah. this. Yeah, Paul perfect. It should be no. like a Formula One, like thumbs up somehow, like a F1 gloved thumbs up. <laughs> like, I'm feeling something like that for you, Paul. I, I, I I'm sorry it. I just yeah, made something podium. up for you, but yeah. <laughs> it will no, it perfect. will stand out. I gotta say I'm surprised. I thought you were gonna advocate for staff picks, but maybe you also knew this was this could have been a losing battle. I don't know. No, I just I, I just I think um I mean it, you know I don't know if I would necessarily put it up there mm -hmm. with the likes of the four <laughs> or, uh, you know. Lionheart. Uh, Lionheart. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's good, but it's it ain't that good in my in my uh, eyes. I, I think it's, I love it. I yeah. love it dearly, but it's not like a, yeah, it's not like that good. Got it. And what about you, Danielle? I think I I have a hint because you kind of yeah. mentioned it on the notes, but I don't know if Paul's uh, uh, passion for the movie swayed you either way. How are you putting, where are you placing Mission Impossible? Well, I, got, I got to say, I appreciate Paul's passion for the movie, for sure. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed talking about it and uh, and also reading Paul's notes again that are spectacular. You should go to fanbite.com and read them because they're really, really good. Um, but yeah, I think it's a rock solid middle aisle pick. And I will say, like, there are very, very good movies in the middle aisle. I think Nightcrawler is a fantastic yeah. piece of art that yeah. made it to the middle just because it wasn't like a personal favorite, but it's still like a super, mm -hmm. super solid movie. This, I think, is just like a really, really good 
super solid, rock solid uh, action movie that I, I, I'm i thinking high up in the middle aisle, personally. Yeah. I think it's pretty fucking oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, not, a, not a favorite, I wouldn't say, but like definitely a really, really good movie, a solid pick. Like if Tom Cruise were to walk in, it would be eye level with Tom Cruise. Exactly. <laughs> high, exactly. High up Which on the I shelf. think he's my height. So like, I, you know, it's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's sure. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't go, I can't make fun of him too much. So yeah. why put it in the staff picks if you couldn't even, you know, pick it up from there? I feel like that would yeah, be a disservice to, to Tom. Uh, it's also for me. I can't reach, I can't reach it as a short king it's myself. Fair. So, you know, I got it. <laughs> Uh, I am, I absolutely agree with you. I think this really has like the middle aisle DNA, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, like I felt again, entirely different vibes, but kind of like I uh, felt about the bodyguard. Like, yeah, it just, it just yeah. feels middle aisle if that makes any sense. But in a, in a good way, sometimes middle aisle can be bad because it's like, it just doesn't really evoke any particular emotion, like the case of, of Batman last week. But no, I feel like <laughs> this is just, um, just a solid little piece of action and, and, and intrigue. And yeah. I am totally okay with putting it a little higher up there and putting a little Paul disclaimer so that our customers know, know what's up, know what's up. Yeah, it's like a Tamayo quality of, or a seal of quality, yeah. you know? Yeah. Exactly. Well, with all that said and our verdict issued, that will be all for this week. I want to thank you both my co-hosts for joining me today. I want to thank you at home for listening. We do hope that you come back to our friendly neighborhood video store next week as we continue Payday May. And we got to say, we are struggling a bit with the third movie of the month, so we welcome your help. We were actually trying to find movies in which uh, women of color got paid big bucks for and um, surprisingly to no one there aren't many so we might hmm. do uh, the opposite uh, next week and do kind of like an inverted theme and talk about women who were underpaid for movies yes. that they should have been paid for so we yes. would welcome your suggestions in our little discord chat uh, if you're so inclined, if you like the work we do and you want to show some support, you can do so by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts or by rating us on Spotify. So we can hopefully get on more raters because these VHS rewinders break all the time. And I got to say, they are not cheap. You can check out our other podcasts over at fanbyte.com slash podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Fanbyte Media. You can follow us on Instagram at Fanbyte, on TikTok at Fanbyte, and of course on fanbyte.com, which, like we already said, we'll have a little text about the episode with notes and now a new an innovation yes. brought on by again our amazing producer Paul Toast Tamayo uh, yes. that is transcripts <laughs> of our little conversations. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. Sir. Yeah. Just I want to just real quick shout that out. I'm, I'm really proud of that. I'm, I'm going to try to I'm going to do I'm definitely committing to doing them for each episode. So I'll also include a link into these show mm -hmm. notes. So if you want to just like actually kind of read them, read them as you listen or download them as a PDF, it'll be available and it'll have links to stuff and images. So it's it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. cool. Amazing. Oh, yeah. 
See how spoiled you all are, listeners. We love you. <laughs> we love you so much. We'll do anything for you. So yeah, also you can watch our streams on twitch.tv uh, slash fanbyte. Um, and again, join us for our little Discord channel where we discuss the movies and I guess talk shit about some people because that's fun. That <laughs> will be all for next week. Until next time, you'll love to see it.